Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff Morton, one of your hosts for Returning to Eden. My co-host, Dina Dye, Dr. Dina Dye, is with us. Hi, Dina. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing tonight? Doing really, really good. And, folks, we're, tonight is, you know, a deer in the headlights moment, so get ready because we're going to have some fun tonight. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a, last week's program was kind of a mind bender, and uh, Dino will go over a little bit of what we talked about. I'm blown away by the amount of people that have checked into that program uh, from last week and are curious to see uh, where, where we're going to go with all of this. But, uh, in fact, I had several of you say, wow, she was just getting started on that, and then the show was over with. <laughs> Actually, we We plan it that way. <laughs> We do. We want you hungry and coming back for more. We don't yes, want to bore you, you to death. You are absolutely coming back. Well, listen, um, I, I just to get moving along, we want to remember the people that were killed in Texas. Amen. Uh, specifically, uh, like uh, John Holcomb. I, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, people have been following the different, different names and stuff, but John Holcomb, that family of nine was slaughtered. His parents, his pregnant wife, three of their kids, his brother, the, the brother's uh, newborn baby. I mean, it, it's beyond comprehension. So I, I'm just asking people just pray for him and, and what's left of his family and that people will rally, help financially or whatever way you can. John Holcomb is his name. Uh, yeah, folks, don't get numb to this because... Really, do we, not. We have we have to stand for life, and you know I'm listening to all this stupid stuff about well, prayer didn't help this family, and prayer didn't help that church, and you know what? Um, we we are targets, and we have to remember that. Absolutely, anyway, and, you know this is going to continue, and so we have to prepare ourselves because we cannot get numb, we cannot not care. We have to care about every single one of these lives that were lost and intercede, you know, on behalf of the families. And if we have to be praying for a thousand and four thousand people a day, then so be it. Um, you know, we can't lose our humanity in this, and that's the thing I'm afraid of happening. Because I, I know myself. It's like, how much more of this can I take? How much more can I be praying? And I find myself just sort of shutting down. So I know I'm not alone. And so we have to fight against that. Yeah, and we have to remember, uh, we have to remember that there's family members that are left. Yeah. And they're dealing with the agony and the loss and the pain and the trauma and the hurt and the financial costs and all of the things that are happening to these families. So our prayers need to be about the whole of the situation, not just the tragedy of the situation. And right. I would yeah. encourage. And God is in the restoration healing yes. business, so. He is more than able. I mean, none of this is ever going to make sense to any of us. I don't even think we're supposed to make sense of it. We are supposed to intercede and do priestly work on behalf of our Father. So, anyways, uh, and just I wanted to just say a, a big congratulations to Jeff on the founding of his new company today. Official paperwork and all. Hallelujah. Yeah, we we uh. <laughs> We filed the paperwork for uh, Fruitful Investment Group Incorporated, FIG is the acronym. I love that. Yeah, and if you Nathan. haven't seen my teaching on the fig tree. <laughs> we'll watch it tomorrow. Nathan Grace and I, who's my, my dearest, closest friend, we're partnering now um, in business to formulate a company, and we're going to be doing some real estate stuff. And 
Uh, we leave next week for some training, and so a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff's happening. I'm pretty cool. excited about this, and this is kind of, in my opinion, an answer to prayer. We both prayed for show us a different way to do this because our goal is to to make a different kind of living in order to help people more better and to yeah, serve yeah. the kingdom. And so that's our goal. So okay. we're excited about it. We filed the paperwork for a C Corporation today in the state of Washington, and we'll see what doors open as we move forward. Cool. And also, uh, very excited to hear that all the funds came in for yes. your uh, trip, and I am so excited about this, to Orlando. Tell us about that. Well, um, I was talking with my sister, Desi, and, and i got to say, Desi is my, she is a, uh, she is the Torah-based, gospel-believing, kingdom-loving, temple-curious uh, sister in my family. She's my youngest. Right. And I was talking to her yesterday on the phone about this particular wad of money that I was hoping to get. You know, a family needs some help. And, and I was talking to her, and I said, well, I'm not sure if this is all going to fly. And while I'm talking to her, the, the husband of the family called, and I said, oh, sis, i got to take this call. This is the guy we're talking about. And uh, he said, you know, I really appreciate what, what you're willing to help us do and this, that, and the other, and how soon can you come over and help me do all of this. And so uh, through that process, he's blessing me with, with the ability to go to Orlando, Florida, to help my sister go to Orlando, Florida, to help. Uh, we were able to help another brother out today, uh, somebody you all know, and uh, it's just I love being in the kingdom. I love it because Amen. the Father doesn't let us down and he makes a way. And as long as we understand that about him, the tragedies and all the things that were, are going on can't stop the hand of the Father. So, and, and I have a new saying, Dina. Okay. The one thing that lasts forever is life. And Amen. that's another show. But yeah. remember, death was inserted into life. It doesn't define life, nor is it at the end of life. Our Messiah proved that. So Amen. the one thing that lasts forever is life. You just might not be in the same body that you have today. <laughs> Fine <down>. with me. <laughs> I know it's a better one. I, I have to laugh when you, you know, the Lord does work in mysterious ways. And I, have, I confess, I know some of you saw pictures uh, up on my Facebook of, the bottom of our road was completely washed out, and our drive—the bottom of our driveway was washed out. Uh, has been about six weeks ago, and I have been doing battle with the city and with you know trying to get my councilman because the city caused the problems. But of course, nobody's been out here. Uh, phone calls, you name it, emails—nobody has responded to me. Now I have—I confess I didn't pray about it at all. Right, it's just one of those things. I just got to deal with this hole in the bottom of the driveway. So the other morning, I just I said, "Okay, God, we need help here. It's, it's a cliff at the end of our driveway. We can barely get in and out." And then I just went out on about my day. Well, believe it or not, I got a knock on the door from some neighbors that I never met them. They just showed up at the door, and they said they had been affected by this rainstorm as well, and they had tons and tons of dirt in their driveway that needed to be removed. And they found a company to do it, but the company was going to charge them thousands of dollars to move the dirt to where it needed to go. So they knocked on our door and asked us if it would be okay if they dropped the dirt in the bottom of our driveway. Wow, that's cool. And fill in the hole. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> 
So, I mean, I know that seems kind of trivial and light and especially in comparison to some of But, I mean, God is just, he does, you know, he just does. He deals with our stuff. And even when I didn't even pray about it, you know. But anyways, let's well, move on. No, no, wait, 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 wait. I got a story, too, because yesterday I was working at a church, and I was helping uh, one of their maintenance people with a problem. And the problem kept snowballing to where we needed these parts that were as old as the building. And I'm, I'm going, oh, my gosh, the water's turned off, and the, the whole church has no water. And so we went to this one place, and they said, well, you might try so-and-so up the street. So I get in the car, and I said to the, to the guy that was, I was helping out, he, I said, I'm not doing anything until I pray. <laughs> and so we sat in the car and prayed, and I said, Father, whatever you, can you make sure that this place has those parts? And we needed two of them. And so we drive up to this little tiny place that's been there for a thousand years. And I walked in the door and I said, I need to speak to the person who knows everything. <laughs> and this really old guy walked up to me and said, that would be me. And I said, I showed him what we needed. And he went in the back room and got me two of them. Mm. And we went back. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I can got, got the thing taken care of. So um, anyway. Well, cool. Yeah. Love it. But then yeah. there's, there's life, and we yeah. always have to fight for life. Yeah, amen. We, Dana, we were talking about uh, the book of John and how it I know. Before, but just before, okay. i got one other thing to say, because we're trying on our Returning to Eden Facebook page, if you guys oh, would all yeah. help us get to 1,000 likes by January, because what that does is it drops the price, the cost to advertise and to build, continue building. So we're just asking. We just, I don't know, we're at 400. We need 600 more. So... Help us out and send it off to whomever so we can get up to a 1,000. Thank you. That's the last I'm going to talk about that stuff. So well, Returning to Eden, Returning to Eden on Facebook. Just type in Returning to Eden and go there. Uh, we're going to do a little something because if Facebook has algorithms that limit the amount of people who see your stuff. So the more people that like, the more people see your stuff. And so that's kind of where we want to move in that area because a lot of you like what we're doing. Anyway, Amen. Dina, okay. we, we're going so, to pick up uh, where we left off. John, yeah. yeah. So before I go, I'm, I'm gonna, and I'm going to go back over it because I know some of the folks, you know, it's the first time they ever heard anything like that. And so it's harder. I'm not be able to show you, you know, in a PowerPoint slide, strictly doing audio. But let me just go back and say I can't express how important it is for you to understand that the number seven isn't just a number of seven things, the number seven in the ancient world and especially in the Bible always represented building a temple, building a house for the, the presence of, of course, in the ancient world, their gods. So in the beginning, the expression in the beginning isn't a chronology stating that you do this before you do that. In the beginning is, is stating that a house is being built. And of course, the, the picture in Genesis 1 is it took six days to build the house. Now we're not, we don't care whether it's 24 hours or 24,000 years or millions. This is not the issue here. The issue is it's representing a process of building. So just, you know, it's a functional thing. Let's not worry about, you know, whether it was day or night and any of that sort of thing. And so the house is being built. And then when it's finished, it's finished on the seventh day. And when it's finished, a king can move in and rule and reign, because that's his domain, that's his palace. Obviously, the king can't move in to a house that's unfinished. 
So by completing the house, now he is able to take his seat on the throne and he can rule and reign from that space. So, you know, that is the basic outline of the Bible. It's saying the same thing. So that's the pattern that we established in Genesis. It's the exact same pattern we have in John. And so now as you're reading the scriptures, you're going to see these seventh-day things all over the place. It'll say, after six days, this happened. And uh, there were six days and on the seventh. You're going to see that all over so if you just remember that what it's talking about is building a house for the presence of God and not getting into, okay, the, the separate little days in a chronology. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Okay, hopefully it makes sense to everyone else. So now we have the exact same pattern in John 1, that this, this pattern of the seven days, six days to build, and on the seventh day uh, he rested. So if I were talking about, say, uh, Rosh Hashanah, we call it the, the Day of the Awakening Blast, the, the Jewish New Year, um, the Day of the Trumpet, you know, lots and lots of things. And associated with Rosh Hashanah are a lot of different themes. So we have uh, the wedding, we have the coronation, it's a day of remembrance, it's a day of judgment. It's the day of the resurrection. I mean, there's just a lot of themes that go with that particular day. In the ancient world, Rosh Hashanah, or a new year, was always when the king came to town. The king was enthroned on Rosh Hashanah. So that's important, too, because I maintain, and I cannot prove this, but that John chapter 1 is like Bereshit in the beginning. If you take the letters from Bereshit and you unscramble them, you get Batishrei, which means in the month of Tishrei. So because of that, some of the rabbis believe that creation week, house building week, started at, you know, at, in Tishrei 1 at Rosh Hashanah. Now this is clearly something we can't prove, but that is the thinking. Obviously there are other rabbis that think it started in Nisan, and that's another whole story. But I would, just, I would say that what we have in the pattern of John chapter 1 is a Rosh Hashanah, Moving into John chapter 2, verses, the first few verses talking about a wedding, a meal thing that has to do with Sukkot pattern. So there's the, that pattern as well in the festivals. So John 1, I, I talked, when we, when we start out, in the beginning was the word. We're starting out exactly the same as we start in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And so the idea of the word has to do with house building. It has to do with the king, because that the king is going to be seated on his throne after the sevens. So um, I mentioned, I think, verse 9, it talks about the true light coming into the world. So that would be day one. And if we look at day one in the Genesis pattern, it says, in God separated night from day and the darkness from the light, and it was evening and it was morning. And I've talked about this before, Yom Echad, one day. So the one day is the whole thing, it's the kingdom. So we have the same thing here with the, the concept of light, and the life was the light of men, is the picture of the kingdom, and now we're going to go out through the days. So day one is starting in the beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1. And then when we move down to John 1.29, it says the next day. So if that was day one, now we're on day two. I hope everybody agrees with that. And... Um, so now, interestingly enough, on day two in the Genesis pattern, water above and water below are separated, right? And then in the day two here, 
what do we see? The, the testimony of the Ruach coming down like an immersion. We have water immersion. And, and if you'll remember in um, Luke 4, I think, where that was the sign, uh, that was the beginning of the kingdom, if you will, when Yeshua was immersed in water and then the, the dove, the spirit, came, landed on, uh, alighted on him and stayed. So we have um, John talking about, I don't know him, but the one who sent me to immerse in water said to me, this is the one whom you see the Ruach coming down. And if we get time at the end of this, I have something I want to kind of share about the Ruach, which went along with something you said earlier, which um, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I want to talk about the anointing of the Spirit, because I think we've gone in, off the reservation in what that actually means. But we'll see if I get to it this time. No, don't make okay. me I'm sorry. So John 1.35, and it tells us again the next day. So now we are on day three. Would everybody agree? Day three. Day th what happened in day three in the Genesis? Okay, so the, the waters were gathered, dry land appeared, and sprouts, grasses, trees came up out of the, wa uh, out of the dry ground. You're going to see that pattern all over Scripture as well. Mm -hmm. On the third day, that's when new life comes forth out of dry ground. In the ancient world, whenever uh, chaos was pushed back, they, like in Egypt, they called it the primordial hillock. That meant there was a place in which a temple could be built. So the primordial hillock or whatever, the hill would be called the temple or the mountain, whatever. But that could only come forth when there was dry ground because chaos was gone. So we have the same little pattern here in John 1.35. And what is this whole dialogue about in Think about the, the sprout coming forth that turns into a tree which represents a king. So what do they say? It is in verse 41, 42. It says, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one, which means king. They have found the king of the kingdom. The first fruit. So this first fruit out of the ground. So that was day three. Um, and so day three is always associated with new creation, new life coming forth. And in this case, Messiah, Yeshua, is that new life that's come, that's come forth. So then we go down to John 1.43, and what does it say? The next day. So now we're on day four. Now, what happened on day four in the creation week? Sun and the moon. You got the sun, you got the moon. Now in the ancient world... The sun typically represented the groom and the moon represented the bride. That was very common. So now we got the bride groom thing in the sun and then of course the stars. We have the same imagery with Joseph. Remember when he had two dreams that the, the brothers didn't care too much for the dreams? But in one of the dreams there was the sun and the moon and the stars and the sun represented Jacob and the moon represented Rachel and the stars of course represented the, the rest of the family. So we have the same picture here in day four. And so now we have uh, Philip and his uh, bro, Nathaniel. Are they brothers? I don't remember. <laughs> I got them all mixed up. But then they, they say they found the one that Moses was talking about in the Torah. And then uh, Nathaniel, you know, they sort of make jokes, I guess, about Nazareth, Nazareth. But Yeshua sees Nathaniel coming towards him and says, look, a true Israelite, there's nothing false in him. I talked about that last week, so I'm not going to go into that again. But what is Yeshua says, before Philip called you, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. 
this is very significant. Like, why on earth would he say that? And you can find this in, in Zechariah and Micah because those when, when they were sitting under their vine and their fig tree, that was saying the kingdom was here and present. They were sitting... They were sitting under the, sh the, the shade of the fig tree, which represented the sovereignty of the Messiah, that their king had come. And so he's recognizing him in this position. And then, um, what does it talk about? Uh, Nathaniel says, which is, I think, the most significant thing in all of John chapter 1. He says, you are, what, Ben Elohim, you are the king of Israel. That is Hebrew parallelism. It's the same statement. You're the son of God and you're the king of Israel. Those are, those are synonymous terms because every king in the ancient world was a son of the, of the king who was ruling. So that, all of this is so much kingdom language, it just blows your mind. But of course, if you don't know the language, you don't even see this. So there, we see this whole process and now we see heaven open. And so that, the, that place where angels are ascending and descending is the place of God's presence. Mm -hmm. And, and that, is the, that is the middle ground between heaven and earth, where heaven opens and the angels uh, can ascend and descend. Of course, that goes back to the story of Jacob, Genesis 28, when, the, when he sees a ladder. So mm -hmm. ladders and trees and socks and you name it are all that serve as the, like a temple, the, the connecting point between heaven and earth. That's where God is. He's in that, that space. And so they talk about the Son of Man, and it sort of ends like that. And then when we move into John chapter 2, it says on the third day. Well, like on the third day of what? Now, some of your translations will say in two more days, which I actually think is more accurate. So we've done, gone through four, and now uh, five, six, we're on the seventh day just like we were in Genesis 1. And then when you read from Genesis 1 into Genesis 2, what does it say? It's the Sabbath. It's God resting. Resting is also language of kingship, that a king is ruling and reigning. That's exactly what resting means. And so we have the Sabbath rest, and King God is sitting on his throne ruling and reigning. And there's a coronation, and there's a marriage, and all the stuff that goes with it. And so that's the exact parallel we have in John chapter 2. So there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Let me just mention about Galilee, because we're going from heaven to Galilee. We're going in a circuit. And Galilee, the, the, the meaning of Gal, Gaul is circle. So there's a, cir a circuit. And I would maintain the circuit is heaven to earth. Heaven to, you know. But what's being spoken of here is the heaven that the circuit has been completed. And so there's no separation anymore between heaven and earth. They have been restored as one, and that's what this marriage is all about that we have here. So that's my, um, that took about 15 minutes. Okay. Do <laughs> you care, care to comment? Um, we got five minutes left. Is there something else you wanted to address? Because, folks, this is, this is like, this is like, um, it's 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 like John is confirming almost the entire Bible. Yep, I would by agree. By announcing the kingdom of God, and he's using the. This is not something that the people he's addressing in Hebrew, I might add, would not be unfamiliar with. This is what they all learned. So he's like completing the circuit. He's saying the foundation of the restoration of the nation of Israel has been laid. The guarantee has happened. 
the death of the Messiah is the guarantee that all of these things, he's confirming that the king has put into place everything necessary to defeat evil and bring order to chaos. Amen. And, and when, you go, when you go through Genesis, we've talked about this before, that the process of separation, the point of it is to bring together a, a unity. And so as you go through Genesis chapter 1, everything is sort of divided into these two spheres, light and dark, day and night, water above and below, seas and dry land, Man with the water. idea that the temple would be the place that brought the two spheres together. And that's what we see being fulfilled in John, in John chapter 2, that these two spheres have come together. That was the purpose of the temple, was to bring them together. And so who is the temple in this particular story? I mean, we've got bridegrooms, etc., and, and we can talk about the water and the wine or whatever, but it was Yeshua yes. there. He wasn't, he wasn't even talked about as being the bridegroom. Like, we don't even know in this story. It's very vague and very sort of uh, cryptic who the bridegroom and the bride is. And he is the one who would restore heaven and earth, God and his people. He was the one who would bring them together in the marriage. Which is exactly what Adam's job was. That's what his job was, and he failed. So now we're having the benevolent ruler who didn't want to make a god in his own image, the one who is the Elohim, the one who is the Son of God, the one who is the Lamb, Jesus, for, for a lot of you out there, is the one, he's the one to bring it all together. Yeah, and see, that was the purpose of the high priest in the temple, was to restore the relationship between God and the people. And yeah. so Yeshua is acting in that same role to bring God and the people together. So the bridegroom, actually, if, in, if you're reading in uh, some of the... Um, what do you call them, parables and stuff that talk about the bridegroom and the brides, uh, the servants to the bride. The bridegroom is actually, in, in that period, the high priest. Anytime you see that, think high priest. And the high priest was the one responsible to bring about the restoration between heaven and earth, within the temple structure, between God and his people. Well, we, we've just got a couple minutes left, and you wanted to, you want, because I, I want to address something too, but I don't well, think. Go. No, what, no, I want you to speak about the Holy Spirit of the Ruach. What you said. Oh, you I don't know if I can do it justice right now. Well, um, so I may have to pick this up later. Well, we can, we you, can do this I, next week. We can yeah, keep I think going we on. should, because I think that's not fair uh, to people. You know, I, I would yeah. rather talk about it. And I, if I could remember what you said, I should have written it down. But so anyway, this I, and I want to just mention here too because this you'll find the same pattern in John chapter 11, with the story of of Lazarus being raised from the dead. You're going to find a six day thing, and then Lazarus re resurrected. It goes right back to John chapter one, right back to Genesis chapter one. So it follows through that same plan: new creation, new life, new house. You know. A, a uncorrupted house has been restored so the king can move back to his throne. Um, <clears throat> folks, I, I want to say something here, okay? If you're a believer and you're a believer in the modern reality of our world, um, there's a lot of things that we have to kind of become disconnected from 
in our belief system in order to really get this, in order to understand this. I'm going to leave you with this thought. And Dina and I talked about this, and she'll agree. When we're talking about the ancient world and the gods, I was reading an article. If you go to my Facebook page, I put something on there. It's a 10-minute long video because I read this article about the ancient religions of Egypt and Mesopotamia. And as I was reading the article, it's rather long, but I, it, it talks about how organized religion was born. Now, I want to give you some, I really, I hope I can get this out. Organized religion. So in the ancient world, they had all these temples all over the place. They were facsimiles of an original thing, the cosmos and the Garden of Eden. All of them were like a facsimile of the way the Father ordered things to be done. The problem is, that when you went into that temple, whether it was the temple of Diana or Isis or whoever, there, there really was no other god in there. That, that's, the, that's really critical that you understand that. There really is no other god. There's no creator in those temples. It didn't matter which temple you're talking about. There's no god that creates everything. So what ultimately happens is, the person who goes in there creates this image of a God <laughs> and then comes out and says, this is what that God told me to do. And, the, and then he builds a statue and a monument. And then he uses the whole concept of what that God is to him or her to lord over the people and to rule. And now you got to do everything to appease the gods. Otherwise, you're going to die and go to hell. That whole concept comes from that organized religion that was born in Mesopotamia and Egypt. And the point being, if there were no God in there, then the only image bearer in there is a the man making himself in the image of a God. And that was fluid in the ancient world. The Messiah is the only God who came out of the temple in order Amen. to serve the people. He's the only one. Amen. So when we're yeah. talking about all these ancient religions and all this stuff, if you think that God placed a man and said, now this man is going to do everything in order to keep you from going to hell, and he's going to teach you all these things, that's that system. The God of Israel didn't operate that way. He doesn't operate that way. And in order to kind of get this, you have to kind of understand the two. And Dina, you've said something. We're going over a little bit, but you said something before the show and I can't, I should have wrote it down. <laughs> <We're> terrible. <laughs> About the counterfeit? About, yes, yes. Would you, would, do you remember what you said exactly? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, we were talking about, you know, man's, the natural inclination of man is to form a structure in which he can build and move around. And so, um, I think I was talking something about creating a counterfeit structure, that man yeah. creates the counterfeit structure of what God ordained originally. And man does that to, to make life easy for him. Uh, but, the, but all of it really is a counterfeit of what God had established and ordained. In fact, all of the stuff in the ancient Mesopotamian Egyptian world is a simply counterfeit. a counterfeit of what God ordained. So I would propose this as we close the show. How much of that ancient counterfeit world did we inherit today? Hmm. I'll have to ponder that. <laughs> this is Jeff Morton uh, and Dr. Dina Dye. Dina Dye. 
We're returning to Eden. We'll see you guys next week. We're praying for you. Please pray for us. Amen. Shalom. 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 Bye-bye. Bye.